Well, good day, everybody. I'm Sam. And I'm Mike. And we are the Extras. Welcome back, Mike. Welcome back, Sam. Yeah, it looks been, it's, what a big week we've had. Uh, doing all sorts of exciting things in the book of Revelation. Uh, we were in uh, the land of the millennium and controversy. <laughs> Uh, all sorts of fun things. The destruction of the beast. Fun and games, yeah. Yeah, mate, can you just remind us quickly before we dive into it? We've got quite a few questions to tackle this afternoon, but remind us of Sunday um, and where we were in the book of Revelation. Revelation 19 and 20, we're introduced to a new character, the, the rider on the white horse, who's actually an old character. It's Jesus, um, variously described with Old Testament imagery and uh, allusion. And uh, he comes along and basically wipes the slate clean. He gets rid of all the enemies that we've faced in Revelation so far. Death and Hades, the fiery red dragon, the beast, the other beast, also known as the false prophet, and mm. the prostitute Babylon herself are all wiped out uh, rather effortlessly and quickly by the rider on the white horse. Yeah, I, I loved. Um, I love the idea of the anticlimactic battle that you think is <laughs> going to be kind of Lord of the Rings esque, and then it's all of a sudden over because uh, the the rider on this white horse just smashes them. Um, and I loved seeing the the connection. I liked your PowerPoint slide Sunday night, which just one by one unpicked each of those enemies, uh, taking them away. The ones that have come up are now dealt with. Um, yeah, all of a sudden by Jesus. So, uh, but there was lots in there, and uh, and there's lots of fodder <laughs> for questions. Oh yeah. Um, and so we're going to do our best to try and tackle them. It is great, though, isn't it? The, the questions that are coming in and the way in which people are wrestling with the scriptures, that's a good thing. And uh, we're going to do our best to try and answer them with God's word. And look, it's really helpful for us as, as uh, preachers and as your friends and pastors that we just continue to get these great questions each week. They force us to think harder and hopefully force us to be a little bit more clearer even in our answers. Okay, well, here we go, Mike. Uh, question number one. Why does God permit Satan to continue his deception in these last days? And then the question goes on to say, I feel that this question is similar to why he permitted the serpent to be in the Garden of Eden in the first place. Is this simply part of God's inscrutable purpose and plan uh, that we won't be able to comprehend this part, of, this side of heaven? Or does God tell us why somewhere in the Bible? Okay, so taking us back to Genesis and the serpent um, makes me think, yeah, there is a mystery to all of evil and the inner workings of God, and so we can't know, we don't know everything this side of heaven. Um, so there's still lots of questions I've got to ask God when I when I meet Him face to face. Um, however, there's some things we can say from Revelation. Um, we can talk about the fact that Jesus in Revelation five came as the victorious uh, sacrificial lamb demonstrating Jesus and, and God's love and justice and forgiveness and grace, all those wonderful characters we love about Jesus. Uh, and that seems to be the catalyst for binding Satan for the thousand years so that he can't deceive the nations. Um, but then he's released, um, but for such a short time, uh, he tries to gather the nations against uh, to, to wage war against Jesus. And that seems to be the catalyst for Jesus coming a second time, uh, not as the sacrificial lamb, but as the, the rider who is going to judge and uh, uh, execute judgment on all his enemies. And it seems we need both sides of the coin. We need to know mm. Jesus as the lamb. We need to know Jesus as the judge 
because it's only in light of those two characteristics of Jesus that we really see God's glory most clearly. And so why does God kind of bind and not deceive and then deceive? I take it ultimately it's so that we can see Jesus more clearly, mm. so that God and his glory can be seen more clearly, so that we can worship God the way we should. It's fascinating, isn't it, that, that what God is more interested, even more interested in than us, uh, is the fact that God wants his name and his character to be known. And I find that fascinating. Remember a couple of years ago we looked at the book of Exodus and yes. uh, that, that key verse in Exodus 34 where God wants his name to be known, the Lord, the Lord, uh, and he's full of grace, mercy, compassionate, showing love to generations. Um, but then also uh, he will not leave the guilty unpunished, uh, punishing the evil ones to the you know fifth, sixth, seventh generation. Mm. And there's the two sides to God's character. He is perfect in his grace but also in his justice and now like you said we don't know the exact reasons why he chooses to use the serpent or the satan um, in terms of kind of inciting rebellion against him but we do know his bigger purpose which is to show his justice and uh and revelation has kind of taken us through those two sides of god's character hasn't his total mercy and grace but his total justice and they they, they're the two sides of, well, not the two sides, but they're the, the whole picture of God's yes. character, if you like. Yes. Um, and God is more interested in, in making himself known in those ways, even than, you know, uh, even than just us. Sometimes we think God's in the business of saving me. God's actually in the business of making his whole character known. And yet the irony is the more God fights for his glory, the better it is for us. Yeah, that's right. And so it may not be for us primarily, but ultimately mm. that's for our good. The more God is glorified, the better it is for us. That's right. And so we've got to take some of these kind of questions that we might have about the origins of evil and the purpose of Satan and those kind of things under that umbrella of God wanting to make his character known. And ultimately the existence of Satan and evil, they're, they're, they're tools at one level. They're, they're means that God uses to show something of his character. We don't have all the answers about them, but they do fit under that umbrella of God wanting to show us that he is the most powerful and that nothing and no one can stand against him. He is perfectly powerful and just, but also gracious to those who turn back to him in, in repentance and faith. So Satan is a tool. That's what you said, is it? <laughs> that what you said? Yeah, that's what Fabulous. I said. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, power along. All right, question two. Uh, is there any correlation or connection between the rider on the white horse in tonight's passage? That's in uh, chapters no, chapter 19 and 20. Yes. Um, but also there was a rider on a white horse back in Revelation 6, 1 and yeah, 2. Yeah, well connected? done. Well done. Someone picked that up. Um, look, there's probably not a great deal of correlation other than they are both white horses. Um and I say that because of the purpose of the white horse and their coming. So in chapter 6, it's all about judgment um, on the earth, whereas in Revelation 19, it's about Jesus coming as judge uh, on the unholy trinity, on evil. Um, and so they're both kind of agents for judgment, I guess. Mm, That's yep. the connection. Yep. But they're two different uh, riders on two different horses. Yeah, helpful. Okay. So similar imagery, though, in, and Absolutely. both picking up on this notion of kind of just and pure judgment in the whiteness. Is that is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, and victory. And white. victory. Yeah, victory of white. Yep. Uh, but different in, in terms of their kind of direction purpose. and yep. purpose to, that that judgment is being um, dished out on. Okay. Good pick up, whoever uh, asked that question. Indeed. Well done. Okay, now, Mike, we've got sort of the next five questions all... Um, 
play around the idea of the martyr um, and, and sort of trying to understand some of this stuff around the, the thousand years or, or what you yeah. sort of introduced us to on Sunday as the millennium yeah. uh, and, and where the, the martyrs fit in with that. Um, so we tried to tackle some questions around the thousand years uh, on, on Sunday night live in the question time, but there's a few follow-ups here. So we'll, we'll try and work our way through them and see what, see what we can um, unpick here. Uh, so the first one is, uh, if Satan is free for the thousand, thousand sorry, yeah, if, uh, I think that must be bound for the thousand years. Is, yep. that, is that what it's meant to say? Because Satan was not free for the thousand years. That's right. If Satan is bound for the thousand years, but then the martyrs come to life and reign during the thousand years, what's going on with their resurrection if the thousand years is now? Yeah, so I talked about, uh, I believe the thousand years are... Uh, now they're the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And there's people who have very um, different ideas to that, and, and that's okay for now, and it's okay to disagree on that. Um, but it seems that the martyrs are, uh, are resurrected and reigning now in the sense that we take go back to Revelation chapter 6. Uh, it's the martyrs who are the souls under the altar crying out to God, How long, O Lord? And so they are resurrected, not physically like we all will be one day, but they're resurrected in terms of their soul. They're obviously alive and living and speaking and have a voice with God and with Jesus. Um, And so they're reigning as they are in Christ, in union with Christ, um, kind of doing the things that Jesus is doing, which Mm. is both kind of being seated on a throne, ruling, uh, judging partially now, judging ultimately uh, when he comes as the the white the rider on the white horse, mm. so that, that, that's helpful. There's there, there's a distinction between the the final day resurrection and and the, the sense in which those who might die now are, are with Christ. Absolutely, because uh, I mean that's something Jesus says when he, to the thief on the cross. You know, today you'll be with me in paradise. Luke twenty three. Um, but I don't think that, that means that today we will jump ahead to the general resurrection when all the bodies come out of the ground. Uh, he's, but there is some sense in a spiritual sense, a, a soul sense, perhaps. Yes. Uh, that that you're with Jesus. Um, Absolutely. And but we're just sort of waiting for our bodies to catch up, if that makes sense, when they'll be raised and glorified. Yeah, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 might be a helpful uh, chapter if you want to pursue that a little bit further. Yeah, very helpful. And I guess that gets us into what we call our anthropology, which is our understanding of what human nature is and, and, and lots of lots of questions to dig there. 1, <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15 is another good place oh, to yeah, explore absolutely. in terms of getting your head around the resurrection and, and all those questions. Yes. So. Uh, all right, uh, so kind of carrying on from that, um, are we included with the martyrs that have come back to life and reign with Christ for the 1,000 years? And then it goes on, the term martyr by definition refers to a person who's been killed for their beliefs or, as Revelation puts it, has been beheaded. Uh, so if we're not killed for our beliefs, are we still included? So Revelation chapter 20, verse kind of 4 and 5 does seem to be a fairly specific mention of those who are on thrones, given authority, uh, souls beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And uh, it goes on to say that they haven't worshipped the beast or his image, haven't received his mark. Um, I think there is a fairly specific understanding to martyr there that it is those who have died for Christ. But I think it can also be generalized because in Revelation, really all those who are faithful witnesses of Jesus, uh, if they haven't died for their testimony, are at least prepared to die for their testimony. And so I think we can 
broaden that specific definition of martyr, those who have actually died, to, mm. if you like, those who are prepared to die, those who are following Jesus, um, uh, who are kind of, in a sense, uh, determined to hang on to their testimony even in the face of death. Mm. So that would then um, help us shed some light on verse 5 where it talks about the rest of the dead not coming to life until the thousand years were ended. Some might read that as like only the sort of sort of de- martyred ones get to raise now and the non-martyred ones... Other Christians. Uh, yeah, other Christians, they they just stay dead to the general resurrection. But yep. you're, you're suggesting that perhaps actually the first bit is... Uh, or the, the martyr is actually all who are prepared to and will die for Christ... Um, and that, that those who stay dead are perhaps the, the non-Christians in verse yeah, 5. Yeah, I think that's right. Verse 5 probably just refers to all people who mm. have died. Sorry, not all people. Um, those who have died outside, outside of, Christ. of Christ. Yeah, and so there's a difference there, isn't there? For the Christian who dies today, they'll be with, with Jesus in paradise. In paradise. Yes. Uh, for the non-Christian who dies, they're, they're going to they're gonna be dead. That's um, right. And, and, but they will be raised, uh, but they'll be raised for judgment and then um, for punishment. But... Yeah, those who die in Christ, there's something wonderful there that they're, they're with Christ, raised with him and you know, r- ruling with him. Um, yeah, so using verse 6 language, that the second death has no power over the Christian. Yeah. But the assumption is the second death will have power over the, the yeah, non-believer. the non-believer. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, uh, let's keep moving along then. Uh, we've got one here. Um, if the thousand years symbolise the time between the two comings of Jesus, then why have the martyrs already been given authority to judge? Uh, again, the great thing about being a martyr or being a Christian is that you are united with Christ. Um, it's an amazing blessing, and it's really the reason why we get any blessings is because God now sees me as he sees his son Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. And so... Um, some of the amazing things that Revelation says about Christians is that we are already given thrones. Now, we don't deserve thrones, but because Jesus deserves to be enthroned because he is the king, so are we who are in Christ are treated like kings. We're, we're given thrones. And we're even given the kind of the, the white robes that's kind of Jesus wear. Um, and we're also able to judge with Jesus because he's the judge. We're united with Christ. Therefore, we get to judge. Mm. Okay. Well, I mean, the, second, the next question here follows up on that. Um, someone's asked, what does it mean that the martyrs are judging with Jesus? Isn't Jesus the only one who can judge? Jesus is the ultimate capital J judge. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, the resurrection proved that. That's Acts 17. 17. Yep. Um, God is, God is uh, going to judge the world by the one man, uh, uh, Jesus, and he's given proof to that proof by that. Raising, raising him to the dead. What's that? Acts uh, 17, 31, 31, that sounds right. Yeah. So Jesus is the judge. Absolutely. But again, the fact that we are united with Christ, that we are in Christ, that kind of all the benefits and the inheritance that is due Christ is, is ours through faith. Incredible, isn't it? Mm. Means that we too are, are judges, um, which kind of, it's just a weird thought, but a wonderful thought in, yeah. in, in another sense. And so the rest of scripture does back that up. Sam, you got, you got a verse there. 1 Corinthians 6. Um, if any of you has a dispute with one another, this is 6 verse 1. Uh, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? So, 1 Corinthians 6, that's pretty clear, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so there's <laughs> a sense, judges. and that's because of our union with Christ. If he's the judge, then we're united to him and we get to share that role of judgment. 
And I can share a verse from Matthew 19, verse 28, where Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, that the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, sounds a bit revelation, doesn't it? Mm. Um, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah, wow. I mean, that, that, that does sound very revelation-y. Um, there's a there's a connection to us that when we are united to Jesus by faith, um, we what happens to him happens to us, yeah. and so he's risen from the dead. We're risen from the dead. He's the judge of all things. We become the he's the heir of of God, and we become co heirs. Romans eight with, with Christ, and it's just remarkable to wrap your head around. Um, and it's just the sometimes I think we don't get just how gracious God has been to us and how much he's given to us that we don't deserve. And how blessed we are now yeah. in Christ and how much, how blessed we will be in the future in yeah. Christ. Yeah. Okay. Um, this one, are we only reigning with Christ until the new creation? Uh, then what happens after that? How is the new creation ruled? Thank you for this question. Uh, my answer comes from Revelation 22, uh, verse 5. Uh, so let me read that. Uh, there will be no more night. They will not need the light or a lamp or the light of the sun. Uh, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Mm. So Revelation 22, which is right smack in the middle of the, the new creation, uh, we are still reigning. In fact, we'll reign forever and mm. ever. Mm. Um but there does seem potentially a little bit of a twist maybe in the new creation in terms of um, kind of judgment, uh, reigning. The, the enemies have already been kind of done away with already. That's chapter 19 and 20. And so in terms of how we're reigning and how we're judging, mm. I'm not quite sure how that all plays out. So could it be that the expression of our reign with Christ changes? Perhaps if you're... If you die now, before the return of Christ, there's, you are reigning with Christ, but there's, there's because the enemies are not yet uh, kind of wrapped yep. up and destroyed in that sort of yep. ultimate sense that we've been looking at in these chapters, um, the, the reigning with Christ will look a different way to perhaps what it will look as you still reign with him in, in eternity in the new creation, but there'll be, it'll be a different expression of that reign because those enemies will have been into the lake of fire and it's all yeah. kind of wrapped up. That's it. That's that's my impression of uh, 21 and 22. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's helpful. All right. Uh, last one. Well, we've moved relatively quickly through that, Mike. Well done. That's that good. I was a bit more nervous about this episode than I've, I've needed to be. Thought it might um, take a thousand years to get through all these questions. Indeed. All right. But yeah, anyway, uh, most of the day is like a thousand years, thousand years Thank of the day. We've done Thank the, you. the day version. Um, judged on our works. Uh, how does this fit in with Matthew 6.20 where we are to store up treasure in heaven and James 3.1, teachers will be judged more harshly. The wonderful... Gospel tells us that we are saved not by works, but by God's grace. And uh, we never want to lose that because mm. we're completely stuffed uh, without God's grace. Uh, so we are saved by grace, not by works, so that none of us can boast. Mm. And yet, the Bible keeps telling us that we will be judged somehow based on our works, based on... Uh, what we say, what we do, what we think, how we serve other people, how we minister. Um, and so our life on earth really matters. The way we live really matters. It's not just a matter of we're saved by grace and therefore, and then, you know, it doesn't really matter. Just kind of wait until God calls you, you know, wait till, 
till you go to heaven. Mm. Um, no, no, your life matters now and the way we live matters now. And we need to be living in light of who we are in Christ, the fact that we're united with Christ. Now we want to live like Christ and live for Christ. And we also want to live in light of the fact that uh, everything we say and do will be judged on the last day. Mm. How, how does that fit with Matthew 6 verse 20, which is the idea of uh, store up treasures in heaven? I take it it fits that. I don't exactly know how the judgment fits in with the fact that we're saved by grace, but um, it seems like we'll be judged and for some things, some of our righteous acts, there will be a reward. There will be treasure given to us in heaven. Now, what is that reward? What is that treasure? I'm not sure. 1 Thessalonians 2 talks about people being our joy, mm. our treasure, yep. um, our reward, our crown. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Yep. Yep. So it might be people as we as we pour our lives into other people and minister mm. to them, evangelize, share the gospel, mature disciple people. Maybe that's the reward. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure, but mm. there's definitely... Saved by grace, there is our works will be judged. There are rewards based on how we live our life, mm. um, and then James chapter three, uh, teachers will be more, will judge more harshly. Yeah, I think when particularly we're talking about um, our ministries being judged, how we disciple and love people, obviously the stakes are pretty high. We want to get that right for God's glory. Um, and so perhaps that's why teachers are judged more harshly and why in, perhaps in 1 Corinthians chapter th- 3, we're told to be careful how we, how we how build, we build in, mm. the, in the context of how we love and serve other people. Mm. Um, because when you're involved with ministry, the stakes are higher. Because it's not just your own soul on the line, it's those who you're pastoring and ministering and teaching. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful. And so that kind of makes sense at one level because the image in Revelation is there, there seems to be sort of two components to the judgment. There's the book of life, and if your name's in that, that's the grace of God that you get saved by. But then there's this, these other books, um, and it seems that everything, good or evil, that you've done is going to be brought before the judgment throne of God, and everything's going to be laid bare. Um, and, I, and I take it those things that you've done as God gave you good works to do and you've done them, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done what you were supposed to do. But nice. those things that we've done that where, where we've failed, and I take it for all of us, there are going to be things that we're just profoundly ashamed of on that day. Absolutely. Uh, but Christ at that point for the elect will step in and say, I died for you. I paid the price for that sin and here is my righteousness given to you and come on in even though you don't deserve it. Yep. Yeah. So that's really helpful stuff, Mike. Um, I think we'll, we'll leave it there question-wise today. Um, very quickly, this weekend, we're heading into Revelation chapter 21. Woohoo! Fantastic. Home straight now. Yeah, yeah. Look, the big idea of Revelation 21 is everything's going to be new. So having kind of cleared the ground in 19 and 20, all of evil destroyed, uh, now the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth, the new bride, the new Jerusalem, the new city, the new temple. It's all going to be new. It's all going to be fantastic and you don't want to miss out on it. And really, Revelation 21 is there to help us to just keep our eyes firmly fixed on the prize, to keep loving and longing out for our future mm. and uh, hanging in there with Jesus. Nice. Well, I'm looking forward to that and I'm looking forward to Sunday hearing about it. So, Uh, folks thanks for listening and uh, thanks for your questions please keep them rolling on in Uh, we really appreciate them and we hope that this is still been helpful for you and um, thanks for the feedback for those who've been um, passing it on it's it's encouraging and we hope we're helpful to you we'll see you sunday have a good week all right god bless Bye. Bye bye